person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Most importantly, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. He will testify of me. And you really know when the operation of the gift of the Holy Spirit is functioning well, when Jesus Christ is being glorified among the people. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. We're going to be looking at the second half of John chapter 10, verses 22 through 42. And we actually have a divide, although we have John chapter 10, 42 verses altogether. Last week, looking at the first 21 verses, there is a passage of time that took place between verses 21 and 22. And John teaches us that in verse 22, that this was the Feast of Dedication. So now we've jumped to the month of either November or December, as we look at it in our calendar And also it brings us to just a few months before Jesus' crucifixion. And so we're following John. He's kind of counting down the final months of the Lord. And from chapter 10 to chapter 11, we're going to find that he jumps to just a few days before the Lord's crucifixion. So we're kind of winding down the last few months of the Lord as he is preparing himself to be that sacrifice for us upon the cross. And so we find in our text today, we're going to be looking at the question that they asked Jesus, are you the Christ? And I broke it into four sections, and we're going to look at the Christ, verses 22 through 24, my works, verses 25 through 30, my father's works, verses 31 through 38, and finally, the calm before the storm, verses 39 through 42. So I'm going to go ahead and just read that first section for you. It's verses 22 through 24. We'll open in prayer and we'll ask God to bless the teaching of his word today. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem and it was winter and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, Tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. And so, Father, we ask that you would be with us as we look into your word this morning. I pray, Father, that you would just open our hearts to receive that which you 
would have for us. Father, let your living word come alive in our hearts this day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we are looking at the, as I said, the final few months before Jesus went to the cross. And in verse 22, we have the first time this is actually named, the only time in Scripture, the Feast of Dedication. You never find this feast in the Old Testament because it's something that took place or resulted from the rededication of the temple during the in-between periods between the Old and the New Testament. There's 400 years that took place there that we have no prophetic word going forth. But there was an event that took place during that time where the temple had been rededicated. And this becomes the celebration of what we see here, the Feast of Dedication. We also know it as the Feast of Lights or Hanukkah. Very familiar to us as far as around our Christmas time, the Jewish people are celebrating the eight days of Hanukkah, and we have the nine candles that are lit during that time, actually the center candle. It's eight candles being lit. The center candle is the candle that does the lighting, celebrating the eight days of Hanukkah. It's a word that means dedication. And so it was a time when Israel rededicated the temple, and Josephus said of this, he's a Jewish historian that wrote about the, the history of the Jews from creation all the way until the time of Christ, Josephus referred to this as the freedom to worship that had been concealed in darkness is now brought to light. And so his definition of the festival of lights was that of they had been worshiping in darkness because it was illegal to worship God and the temple had been desecrated and the Maccabees fought to regain the temple ground and they rededicated the temple. Tradition says that they went to light the menorah in the temple and they only had enough oil for one day. And to make the oil as prescribed by scripture, it would take them up to eight days to produce that oil. And God allowed the menorah to burn during that time without it being refilled while they made the oil. And so tradition kind of says the festival of lights is God's supernatural work of keeping the menorah lit while they were preparing the proper oil to keep it lit from that point forward. Josephus saying, and it makes perfect sense, their worship had been concealed in darkness. Think of Christians today worshiping in China. Their worship is concealed in darkness because the government would come against them but if they gain the freedom, what if the Chinese government said, you're free to worship Christ as you feel? No state-run religion. It would be a similar Hanukkah event. What was concealed in darkness has now been brought to light. So Hanukkah begins in the 25th day of Keslev in the Jewish calendar, anywhere from late November to late December. And so it brings us three to four months before the Lord's crucifixion at this point. In verse 23, we learn that they meet in Solomon's porch, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. And Solomon's porch, only named three times in the New Testament, it doesn't appear in the Old Testament as well, but tradition says it's an area that when the Babylonians destroyed the temple, they kept this area intact. 
And so it remained, tradition says it remained from the times of Solomon, and it was an area of the temple that was supported by walls of some 600 feet high, stones as long as 30 feet long. And Lily and I, we've been to Israel and we've seen some of the, the huge stones that today you see in what we know as the Wailing Wall, where the Jews and other people go to pray. They're on the west side of Temple Mount. And the stones, the largest one there, is some 40 feet long and six feet, I think it's six feet high and eight feet thick, or it's eight feet high and six feet thick. Either way, it, it's incredible. They can't even figure out how they moved the stone that big, let alone to set it in its place on the wall. Here we have an area that perhaps dated back to the days of Solomon. It's known as Solomon's Porch, and Jesus walked in the shelter there in the winter time. But also we find that when Peter and John, after Jesus ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John went to worship at the temple one day, there was a, a man, a lame man there, who was begging for alms. And remember the famous saying of Peter, silver and gold we do not have, but what we do have we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Well, that event took place at Solomon's porch. In Acts 3.11, it tells us the porch that is called Solomon, where the people came together after seeing this lame man healed. They were greatly amazed. And the third time it's mentioned, it's in Acts 5.12, where we find the early church held public meetings there. Before the persecution in Jerusalem, the church met at the temple, Acts 5.12, and through the hands of the apostles and many signs and wonders were done among the people and they were all with one accord at Solomon's porch. Today we have a segment of the church saying that, you know, the body of Christ in the New Testament, they never, they never had church buildings. They never had great public gatherings. They met in houses. And so we have today what is called a house church movement and people uh, will teach and they'll write books on it saying that the church should be meeting in homes. And yet we find that in the New Testament, they did both. They met and went to house to house, but they also met in Jerusalem at the temple, the larger gathering place for the body of Christ. And so Jesus ministering in this area, along with the Holy Spirit working through Peter, John, and the other apostles, Solomon's porch became a very significant place for the body of Christ. But the people came to Jesus, they surrounded him there, and they asked, how long do you keep us in doubt? Verse 24, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, Christ, it's Christos in the Greek, and it means the anointed one. If you are the anointed one, the anointed of God, tell us. If you are the Messiah, just tell us plainly. Now, it's a question that they had for John the Baptist as well. When John the Baptist began teaching some three years earlier, they surrounded him, the scribes and the Pharisees, the priests and the Levites. In John 1, 19 and 20, they came from Jerusalem to John the Baptist and they asked him, who are you? And he confessed and he did not deny. He said, I am not the Christ. There was this messianic expectation of the coming Messiah at this time 
because of prophecy that takes us all the way back to the book of Daniel that speaks about the command to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. From that time forward, they had prophecy from the book of Daniel that calculated the number of years until the Messiah's coming. So there was this great expectation of the Messiah's coming. So they came and they asked Jesus, tell us plainly. Andrew, speaking about the Messiah, speaking about the Christ, one of the disciples of John the Baptist, he had a heart for God. And while John preached the gospel of repentance to prepare the people for the Messiah's coming, Andrew, it tells us in John 1, 24, went and found his brother, Peter. And he said to Peter, we have found the Messiah. It's a Hebrew word, Mashiach. And then John goes on to say, which is translated the Christ. We have found the anointed one. In John 4, 25 and 26, the woman at the well, as we know that story there, she said, I know the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I am he who speaks to you. So Jesus had introduced himself as the Messiah. He has shared that he was the anointed one. But the people weren't listening. They weren't believing. They had a different concept of what they thought the Messiah should be. They were not looking for a Messiah who would come and offer his life upon the cross for the sins of the world. They were looking for a Messiah who would come and free them from the Roman bondage that had enslaved them. They were looking for a Messiah who would sit on the throne of Israel. They were looking for a different Messiah. And that's seen in John chapter 6, when Jesus fed the 5,000. It tells us the very next day the people came to attempt to make Jesus king. And he slipped away from them there. But it tells us that at that time, many of his followers stopped following him. Jesus didn't meet their expectation of what they thought the Messiah should be. So they quit and turned away and didn't walk with him any longer. And at that time, the day after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus said to his disciples, the 12, are you going to leave also? And in John 6, 68 and 69, Simon Peter answered the Lord and said to him, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The 11 of the 12 became convinced that Jesus was, is the Messiah. Even though many of the early followers rejected him, not all rejected him. In John 7, we find this theme of the Christ uh, being used six times in that passage when the people debated whether Jesus was the Messiah or not. And by the time we get to chapter 9, in 9.22, the religious rulers had declared, if anyone confesses that Jesus was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. So the religious rulers had determined that Jesus was not the Messiah. But the people were asking, tell us plainly. And yet we'll find that Jesus gave testimony through his works and through his words. And although a majority of the people did not believe that Jesus was the Christ, 
his teachings, along with his miracles, made for a compelling argument, as we'll see in verses 25 through 30. I titled this section, My Works. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Jesus said, I told you, but you did not believe. And so here we find that my works bear witness. But we find that Jesus said, I told you, I've told you that I'm the Christ. You didn't listen to me. You didn't believe because you're not my disciples. But he gave testimony through his works and also through his words. And his words we find, first of all, by the time we get to chapter 10, Jesus had referred to God as my father 11 times. He had made four of the seven I am statements, and he had even declared the very name of God, declaring himself as I am. We'll come back to that uh, name of God, I am, in the next point. But also in his works. In John 5, Jesus said that his works indicated that he was the Christ. They gave testimony that what he was exactly who he said he was. In John 5, 36, But I have greater witness than John's for the very works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And so they had the testimony of the Lord's works and his word. But also, he declared, the reason you don't believe, the reason you don't understand is because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep follow me in verses 26 and 27. He says, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So Jesus returns to the teaching that we looked at last week, the Good Shepherd where he talked about not only being the good shepherd, but the sheep and, and the sheep following him, hearing his voice and their ability to be saved and to all that we learned from verses 1 to 21. But we need to understand this is a few months later. And he comes back to that teaching. He reiterates three things about his sheep. First of all, that his sheep hear his voice. Secondly, he knows his sheep. He knows who belongs to him. And thirdly, he says, my sheep follow me. In John 10, 14, we learned last week, I am the good shepherd. And my, I know my sheep and am known by my sheep. And that's one of the things, even to this day, the mystery of those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. You can be in a church service. You can be at an event. You can be witnessing to a group of people where some will receive the testimony of Jesus Christ and receive salvation through faith in his name, while others will not believe. It's a matter of my sheep hear my voice. It's a matter of those who have a heart that's soft toward the Lord versus those whose hearts have been hardened by this world. And it's not that they can't believe, 
But the longer we go without Christ in this world, the likelihood of salvation gets less and less. A few years ago, they had done a calculation of those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I, I know the number probably changes with every year. But a few years ago, one of those studies said that most people who come to faith in Jesus Christ do so by the time they're 14 years old. And then as you get beyond the age of 18, the percentage goes way down. And so imagine by the time you get to 28 or 38 or 48. You know, the Lord gave me a word about our son at one period of his life when he was not walking with the Lord. The Lord gave me a word twice that he would come back to the Lord. And there was a point before John came back to faith in Jesus Christ. There was a point to where I wasn't doubting what the Lord promised me. I was praying, Lord, I know what you told me. I know it's true. But could you please do it before he's an old man? You know, I'm thinking all the years it would be wasted if you wait until he has a deathbed confession. Sure, he gets to go to heaven, but there's time here on this earth that he could live for you now. I'm glad that God didn't wait. He did come back to the Lord. So my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. I know them. But also he gives the witness of his father. He says, my father is greater, verses 28 through 30. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Now verses 28 and 29, these are probably some of the greatest eternal security verses in the Bible. And here we have a very familiar Greek word to many of us here in this fellowship, but we connect it to a different passage when we use it. We connect it to 1 Thessalonians 4.17, where there it tells us that in the last days, the Lord will snatch up the church. They'll be caught up. We call it the rapture of the church. Harpazo is the Greek word, and it's the same Greek word that's used here in this text, that Jesus said, no one will snatch you out of my hand. My father is greater than me, and no one will, herpazo, no one will snatch you out of my father's hand. And that Greek word means to be snatched away or taken away by force. No one can get you out of my hands. No one can get you out of my father's hand. And so this is a, a great eternal security verses, verses 28 and 29. But here he begins to expand upon the abundant life teaching that began last week in verse 10, where Jesus said, the thief has come to still to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I've discovered and I've been reading the word for a while and sharing my faith with others for a while. I've discovered that God can work through my hiccups, meaning that I'll mess up, I'll get it wrong sometimes, but he can still work through it. I've discovered that all he wants us to do is to be faithful, and I would challenge us to do that today. Faithfulness begins coming to faith in Jesus Christ, first and foremost. If you do not know Jesus as your savior, that's the first step. 
But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, may I encourage you to grow in your faith that you might go and share of the great love of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he has afforded us. Father, we thank you for your word and for what is taught us today. And I pray, Lord, that you would just bless this time as we close out in this final song. And we pray, Lord, if there's someone who's heart's been challenged today. Maybe it's an issue of eternal security and you're just wanting to remind them today that their initial prayer of salvation that they made to you at some time past, Lord, that they are still saved, that you have them in your hands. Maybe, Lord, you just need to remind a brother or sister of that today. Or perhaps, Lord, it's someone wanting to accept you as their savior for the very first time. Or maybe, Lord, it's a commitment to just growing in our faith. Whatever you challenge us, Lord, in this final song, may your spirit work among us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand. And Pastor Kevin and myself will be down front for the prayer needs that you may have. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.